Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. All right. Appreciate it, PC. Oh, yes. Well, how's everybody doing? Okay, some folks are doing well. It's good to be back with the opportunity to bring the next message in this series, A Revolution of Faith. As Pastor Chris just shared with you a moment ago, I'm Chris Jones, our church's outreach pastor. Let me just say to the folks who are watching online today, we are so glad you are worshiping with us today, and we would love nothing more than for you to leave us a few comments in the chat. We're anticipating it, we're expecting it, and we're looking forward to it. So over the past several weeks, we've been taking this deeper dive into the book of Romans. It is a revolutionary book, leading countless people to Jesus over the years. But I think we found out very quickly that its content is sobering, it's convicting, and its words at times kind of being hard to hear. It has this way of piercing the reader in the deeper parts of our soul. In fact, the Bible teaches us that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of both soul and spirit. And many of you might agree that these first few weeks have generated a variety of different emotions. Maybe for some, it has generated a bit of anger or maybe even a little bit of restlessness. For some, maybe it's been an inspiration for change and a desire to sink in a little bit deeper so to come to know the character of our Lord a little bit better. You see, that's the thing, though, about the Word of God. In fact, the book of Hebrews describes the Word as discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the human heart. And friends, the Holy Spirit, as his power works in the book of Romans, desires to change all of our lives, to develop in each and every one of us a godly character, to expose this, the deception, if you will, that lies in our own hearts and keeps us in this thing called spiritual chains and out of fellowship with Jesus. Yes, the messages have been tough to hear, but the reality is they are words that you and I need to hear. So as we get into this message today, allow me, a fellow sinner, one who has also been saved by God's glorious grace, to simply encourage you today to stay on the horse, to ride a little bit further and allow the Lord Jesus to do a work in all of us that has the potential to change all of us for the better. And today we're at a point of transition, if you will, in Paul's message. And any time that we reach a point of transition, there is a place that we call the before, and then at that point of transition comes an after. And so in the message today, we're going to spend some time rehashing and reinforcing the before, if you will, and then transition to the after in Paul's message in Romans chapter 3. But before we go any further, let's take a step back, if you will, and begin looking at Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 18. It says, well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. And as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their, foul, their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. 
As PC shared in his message last week, we are all under the power of sin, and none of us are exempt. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from, who your people are, or even where you go to church. And God's law, which applies to all people, is a standard that's purpose is to simply point out the error of our way. And like PC shared in his message last week, if you remember with the x-ray and the MRI, the law can be described like a barometer that indicates a storm is out there on the horizon and that trouble's on the way. The law can be described as a, th- as a thermometer that indicates that there's illness in the body and that fever has begun to set in. It can also be described as a blaring smoke detector that alerts us that smoke is present and that there's a strong possibility of fire. Paul is explaining that the law is the standard to which we measure up how we measure to God's glorious standard. And as Paul has explained to us in the passage that we just read, we all find ourselves falling short. All of us are under the power of sin. All are unrighteous in the sight of God. And what's worse is that Paul asserts that no one is seeking after God. He says that our lips are full of strife and envy, malice, cursing, and backbiting. Paul goes on to say that we are all left in wanting and that we're all in trouble. We all find ourselves separated from the goodness of God. And like the barometer that indicates that the storm on the horizon, it does nothing to provide for us anything in the way of protection from the storm, nor does it change the direction or the intensity of the wind and the rain. And like the thermometer that indicates that fever is burning throughout the body in its sickened state, it does nothing to bring about healing. And like that blaring smoke detector, warning the occupants of smoke and fire, it does nothing to extinguish the flames, nor does it prevent the destruction that the fire will ultimately cause. And so it goes with the law. It is a tool of indication, but it does nothing to remedy the condition of humanity. Paul is asserting that the law identifies the problem, but doesn't remedy or relieve. In fact, the idea of pointing to a major problem and the lack of a remedy is exactly what Paul has been driving home to us, seemingly saying it to us over these past several weeks over and over and over again. And as PC shared in his message last week, the law makes us aware, but leaves you and I without excuse convicted, if you will, of our our own folly before a just and holy God. It points directly to our sin, whatever those sins might be, and proves to the entire world just how guilty we are. Now, it would be quite easy to assume that somehow all hope is lost, that we are at this perpetual dead end, that we might as well just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. But Paul here in Romans chapter 3 isn't quite done yet. And as I shared earlier in the message, with the verses we're going to look at today, we're going to see a shift in Paul's message, a shifting of gears, so to speak. You see, after pointing out our state, our condition, if you will, he begins with the words, but now. In fact, the the words but now can quite arguably be a favorite expression of the Apostle Paul. In fact, he uses the expression in his writing to mark a drastic contrast to what had been before being now changed in the reality of the present. And whenever we encounter the words, but now, in the writings of Paul, 
It serves as a banner to all of us that indicates our state before Christ and the after being the state of things because of Christ's work done on our behalf at the cross. So I'm going to begin reading. It's, a, it's quite a long read. Hopefully you have your outline out. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3, and we're going to read 10 verses, verses 21 through 31. I'd love for you to follow along. It says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. A quick pause. As we've already discussed, we cannot keep the requirements of the law. The law being an indicator, as I just shared, that something is wrong, yet provides no remedy. But as we just read here, God provides a way for us to be made right with him. Let's read on. Verse 23, it says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. And he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he, he, when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. And God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Quick pause. Unable to keep God's law, we all fall short of God's standard. We are all guilty as charge, and our condemnation is just. But as we just read here, God, in his free-flowing grace, has provided for us a sacrifice, a remedy to resolve our condition. Withholding punishment from those who sinned in times past in anticipation of what he was planning to do. Let's read just a little bit further. Verse 27. Can we boast then that we've done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There's only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jew or Gentiles. Well, then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. So after backing us into this dark, inescapable corner of our spiritual condition, a state where Paul declares righteousness can never be declared on our own, nor through, the, through our own way or through our own achievements. Paul points out to us how we should respond to this but now that we're reading about in the scriptures today. A few things that we must understand, if you will, or come to terms with in order to fully understand this major transition in Paul's message to all of us. And the first thing is this. God has made a way for us to be made right with him despite our unrighteousness. Given the previous passages over the few weeks, again, it might be easy to assume that there's simply no hope, that it's, it's easy to make this assertion because if you remember back in verse 20, we read, by works of the law, no human being will be justified. Paul is basically saying what I've already said, that none of us can keep the law of God perfectly. And back in verse 10, he says, no one is righteous, not even one meaning no person lives a life worthy of God's righteousness on their own. 
Again, the law on its own leaves us in a situation that would appear to be, for lack of a better word, bleak. So if those who strive to keep God's law cannot escape his angry judgment, what hope do we have? Let's reread again verses 21 through 22 of Romans 3. It says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Interestingly, some scholars and Bible teachers have argued that the previous passages that we just read are the most important and impactful verses in all the New Testament. Why? Because it answers the most sought out, most significant question in all of history. It answers the question of how can a person be right before God? It answers the question, what is it that makes a person right in the eyes of God? The good news is we don't have to guess the answer to that question. We know the answer because Paul, writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit, gives us the answer to that question. In other words, God has indeed made a way for us, you and I, to be made right with him. You see, the law says that we have to dot every I and cross every T. The law says that you cannot slip up with your words at any single point in your life. The law says that you cannot lie, even a tiny little white lie, at any point in your life. The law teaches that if you steal a pen from the church, you are thieving and deserving of God's righteous judgment. Look upon another man or woman with lust in your heart, and the penalty is eternal condemnation. You see, with the law, it is perfection or it's bust. And truth be told, being as absolutely as honest as I can be, I bet I've already blown it at least 10 times before I even got to church today. And there might be some of you going, yeah, Chris, yeah, me too. But glory be to God. Whereas God himself is holy and he's perfect and he's good and we're not. We've been given a way to be made right with him to fulfill the requirements of his law. Look again at verse 21. It says, God has shown us a way to be made right with him. And friends, that way is through Jesus Christ. Out with the complicated and impossible law and in with the grace of Jesus. That's the way we're made right with God through the righteousness of Jesus. His righteousness and not our own. Allow me to share with you a quick illustration. A few years back, there was these series of YouTube videos and Facebook postings with some veterans who were angry because of people who had never served in the armed forces who were putting on military uniforms as if they'd served. They have on all the medals and the rank, and then they would frequent places like shopping malls and restaurants with the hope, or the idea, I should say, of gaining or obtaining some veteran military service recognition. These individuals would wear the uniform and claim to have made the sacrifice of those who had truly served the nation. Interestingly, it's easy for those who have served to identify these uniform-wearing non-veterans out in the community. And some veterans would confront them, posting videos of the confrontations out there on social media. And legitimate veterans would confront them and say, you wearing those things reserved for those who have earned the right to wear them is nothing short of robbery. To many, the practice is known as stolen valor. 
It's the claiming of the valor of others and then stealing it and receiving it for oneself. Now, these individuals, they can wear the uniforms and they can very much look the part. They can say that they've served until they're absolutely blue in the face, but at the end of the day, they aren't the real deal. Outwardly, they may appear to be military personnel and veterans, but inwardly, they're little more than thieves and imposters. And friends, in the same way we can put on our own righteousness and claim to be good, we can show up to church and serve on every life team and on every service project imaginable. We can claim to be righteous and claim to be right with God, but the reality is without the righteousness of our holy God put upon us by Jesus Christ, we ourselves are donning nothing more than stolen righteousness. And we really aren't much different than those who claim to be soldiers just because they put the uniform on. Outwardly, a person can look exactly like a decorated soldier and be merely nothing more than a cheap army surplus stores counterfeit ready for trick-or-treating on Halloween. And Paul has warned us repeatedly that there is only one real deal and everything else is a fake with no value. Paul is teaching us that we were made right with God in one way and one way only, and that is by faith in Jesus Christ. Anything and everything else, no matter how legitimate it may seem, just won't do. Everything else comes up short, leaving us wanting and longing and separated eternally from a holy God. So Paul teaches us that God has made, us, made a way for us to be made right with him, that it's not by our own righteousness, and equally important is this. Our standard doesn't meet God's standard. Friends, we cannot good our way towards God. Now, that might be hard to hear, but the reality is, based off what we just read, it's simply the truth. Our good and our absolute best won't be good enough. It's like you and I getting a running start and attempting to leap across the Grand Canyon. And no matter how fast we can run, no matter how strong we might be in our legs, in our attempt to be good enough, we ultimately end up in the bottom of the canyon. So more practically speaking, what does this look like? Well, people who are close to me uh, tend to poke a little fun at me. They'll say things like, Chris, you have OCD. And it's true to a certain extent because for me, everything has its place and everything is in order. And I want things to be expertly done, if you will. And I frequently advise our outreach leaders that when we head out into the community, everything needs to be done world-class. Just one look in those box trucks and you'll see that, yeah, I might be a smidge bit particular. When you roll up the doors, I like to say it's ready for service. Some might argue it's ready for inspection, but anyway, those trucks represent our church out in the community, hopefully in a positive light. There is a standard by which we serve in the community, and whether it be good or bad, my hope as the overseer or the coach is to be as close to perfection as possible because I want us to glorify Jesus as much as possible. Now, admittedly, there is a standard of perfection and a desire to do things right the first time. That's true. You see, honoring God by doing a great job are all good things. And yes, friends, we should be trying to do that. We all have these standards and our ideas of perfection. We all have an idea in our minds as to what right looks like. But therein spiritually, according to Paul, lies the problem. Look again with me, Romans 3.23. It says, for everyone is sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. 
Now, there's a million and one different ways for us to do life, but there is only one right way, one right, right way to do life, and that is the way of Jesus. And the Lord says, in our attempts to be perfect, we fall short of his standard. And my hope of perfection with our box trucks simply falls short of God's glorious standard. And truth be told, all of our efforts and standards, no matter how good they might seem, will always come up short. So at this point in time, you might be thinking, Chris, if you're preaching that the Lord has made a way, despite the so many ways that we've been pointing out over the past four and a half weeks that where we fall short, and if our own standards and views of perfection of what we think is good enough is not measuring up, then how do we obtain it? You're like, Chris, what is it going to take for us to be made right with God and for us to one day, which is our hope, to be with Jesus in heaven? Do we have to square up our, sh our shoulders and work a little bit harder? Is it going to require of us more blood, sweat, and tears? Try and do a little more? Place upon ourselves these unrealistic goals and expectations? Friends, I only ask the question because this is exactly how I describe my own life from time to time. Maybe if we could just take on another project, just one more serving opportunity. If we can just push through, even though our minds and our bodies are screaming back of us, at us to stop. And I can't help but wonder if I'm speaking to someone today that's exactly in that boat. You're exhausted mentally, physically, and spiritually, trying to catch God in a way that will forever be elusive to you. Again, do we square up our shoulders and work a little harder? The answer is simply no. You see, our righteousness doesn't work, and our standards and labors towards perfection won't work either, which leads me to my next point. And that is, we are made right with Christ, not in the achieving, but in the receiving. Allow me to offer you a couple of choices to help illustrate this next point. Suppose an incredibly wealthy man offers you $10 million right now. now everybody's starting to lean forward in their chairs now. But there's no funny business, no strings attached, and there are two ways to get it. Option one, he wants you to travel over to the Boeing plant over in North Charleston. And when you get there, he wants you to look for a man in a yellow parka named Hank. Let Hank know that the wealthy man sent you, and he'll in have you install the complete electrical and avionics systems for one of those brand new 787 Dreamliners. Get the job done by yourself and without flaw, and the money is yours. The second option, the rich man says, I will give you the $10 million without you having to do a single thing, and I'll give it to you freely right now if you will simply hold out your hand and receive it from me and acknowledge my integrity as an honest man. Which option would you choose? Seems so obvious as to which the better option is, right? But some, upon hearing this offer, would be reaching out to the rich man to see if they can somehow get Hank's email or contact number so they can get some additional information or schedule a time to start the project. It seems so ludicrous, though, right? But this is exactly what a lot of people in the world are doing, friends. They're choosing option one in an attempt to get to God. And there are millions and millions of church-going people who are living these joyless, frustrated, and unfruitful lives because they're trying to flawlessly complete the wiring out there on the plane. So many people choose for themselves the law over the grace of Jesus. And they've been deceived into thinking that it's in the achieving and not in the receiving. 
Look with me again, Romans 3, 24 through 28. It says, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including, in, including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast, then, that we've done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. God, in his grace towards us, makes us free in his sight. In fact, other translations of the Bible use the word justified or justification, and it is a legal term from back in the time of Paul. And it literally means to be cleared of all charges. Because of the law, we are left guilty of charges worthy of death. And the first, and the first three chapters of Roman, Paul is just hammering and hammering and hammering away. He's beating this drum over and over again saying, you fall short of God's glory. You can't do a good enough works. Your standard misses the mark. Your own righteousness and insistence of perfection aren't good enough. Your religion can't save you. He's saying on your own in the end, you and I receive the just penalty of our error. But as Paul opens up in Romans 3.21, he says, but now there is hope. There is a plan. And God, in spite of our error, has made a way where there seems to be no way. Look at Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. It says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we may be saved. Acts 16.32 says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Coastal Lord's salvation provides for us a slate that has been wiped clean. And I wonder if believers sometimes overlook the ramifications of this great and glorious gift. You see, he adds on our behalf the righteousness of Christ. God the Father sacrificed Jesus as a payment for your sin and for my sin. The sin we committed this morning, the sin we committed yesterday, a week ago, and even 10 years ago, every sin that we've committed with our hands and with our feet and with our mouths and our words, even the sin we've committed in our thoughts, we've been made right with God because Jesus Christ freely went to the cross and paid the cost for our sins. And it is a pardon of epic proportions. Friends, we have been cleared. We have been cleared, released, Shackles and chains fallen away. And we have the privilege of taking in cool, fresh air of one who has been redeemed by the Son of God. And you receive that freedom, not by anything that you've actually put your hands to. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Paul is ultimately saying, Believe, and you will be saved. Jesus himself would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You see, it is the grace that saves us. It is the grace of God that redeems us. And Paul spells it out for us in Romans chapter 3 when he says, people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross and by the shedding of his blood. In fact, look again. Romans 3.26 says, God makes sinners right in his sight when they, that's you and I, believe in Jesus. Friend, Paul's but now is that we're made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. 
And if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, you have cause to shout from the rooftops. You have reason to blow the roof off this building in praise. Because of your faith in Jesus and his work done on the cross at Calvary, you've been made right with God, and you now have a brand new name. Your new name is blessed, and your new name is redeemed. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, your new name is child of the Most High God. And no matter what trouble and misery you might be facing today, whether it be financial, spiritual, debilitating illness, relational and marital troubles, and even unanswered prayers, God is saying to us, those who believe you are justified. And because you are justified, I see you and you are mine. And we, the church, should simply respond with, to God be the glory, because he is worthy of all of our praise. Isn't that great news? So let me ask you a question, friend. Do you believe? You have heard Paul let it all out in these first three chapters of Romans. Good and perfect people don't go to heaven. They don't go to heaven because there simply aren't any good and perfect people. All of us fall short of God's glory, the penalty being death. Friend, we are sinners. We do the sin, and Jesus, because he loved us on our behalf, paid the price. And the good news is he's paid the price whether you know him or not. You see, there is a light and a life that's found only in Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself would say in John chapter 5 and verse 24, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me has eternal life. And they will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. You see, to be made right with God requires a holy righteousness, which we cannot obtain on our own. In other words, the righteousness of God cannot, nor will it ever be found within ourselves it is found in none other than Jesus Christ and the invitation to us to simply say yes. Simply say yes. I love how the, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 3.30 that there is only one God and he makes people right with himself only by faith regardless of who they are. Friends, the but now in Romans 3.21 is Jesus. And let me encourage you in closing by saying Accept the invitation. Accept the invitation by simply saying yes to Jesus. He paid the price. We say yes. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you, Father, that you are just, that you are holy, and that you are righteous. And Lord, although these past several weeks have been tough to hear, our prayer is that, Lord, it would shine a light on who we really are outside of you. We pray, Father, Lord, together as a church that we would simply be drawn close to you. That, Lord, we would receive your gift, Lord. This gift, Lord, of eternal life. And not only that, Lord, that we can just, oh, Father, we can just be more like you, be drawn close to you be in fellowship with you, turn away from our own way, turn away from trying to do it on our own, that we would just simply receive what you've already done for us. And that, Father, Lord, you would just get the glory in it all. But, Father, I would dare say that there might be some here today who simply do not know you. There may be some who are watching online who simply do not know you. And, Father, I would just pray that as they wrestle with trying to be good enough to measure up and, fall, and finding themselves falling short, that they would just pray a simple prayer. Lord, forgive me 
for I am a sinner. I thank you for the work that you've done on my behalf on the cross, Father. I pray, Father, Lord, that you would just help me to receive you, that your spirit would dwell in me and begin a work from the inside out, that I would be forever changed. And Father, that would be our prayer for this entire church, that, Lord, we would just simply give you glory, give you praise, and allow your spirit to work in us, that, Lord, we too, Lord, would bring you honor and just glory. Father, thank you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.